Lots to talk about this morning with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun, who joins us now. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. Okay, let's start with the potentially positive news here, some developments in this whole port strike situation. Yeah, we've been looking for some reason to hope because it looked like the talks were going nowhere. And the federal labor minister has asked the mediator to, given the mediator all of 24 hours, put together a recommended settlement, send it to the parties, give them another 24 hours to say yes or no. And I think that sets the stage for Ottawa, if the two sides don't accept, one or the other doesn't accept, for the federal government to step in and impose that settlement. So it is deadlines for the first time. And I think it also relates to the reasons why the federal government has hesitated to step in too soon in this dispute. And that goes back to, uh, gee, a case 20 years ago involving, oh, the B.C. government, which is always creating precedents at the court level. So 20 years ago, Simi, the B.C. government, the Liberal government, imposed uh, a new contract on healthcare workers, the Hospital Employees Union. Right. They gave them 30 minutes notice that they were going to do it. And then the legislature, the Liberals had 77 to 79 seats in the House, so of course they could do it. Uh, the High Court looked at that and they said, look, ultimately government does have the legal power, but you got to have a fair process of collective bargaining. There's a right to a fair process for workers. And that means you can't, you know, give them 30 minutes notice and do it. You've got to actually have negotiations. You have to give the other side a chance to make concessions and all that. And I think that's behind the reasons why, well, we're what at day 12. Ottawa has hesitated to call back Parliament and immediately impose a settlement. They want to be able to show there was a fair process. So they'll have this mediator's report. They'll have the negotiations, and that will all be evidence, if they have to step in and impose a settlement, that there was a fair process before the settlement was imposed. Okay, so then from the signs that you can see from what we've heard from the federal minister here, this is like the first step. Yeah, this would be step one. And look, if the mediator can come up with a report, if the mediator is a miracle worker uh, and can come up with a report that both sides go, yeah, okay, fine, let's end it, right? That, that'll do. Uh, more power to the mediator. If, you know, they go, ah, not good enough and reject it and it's close, well, there might be an argument for another round of negotiations. If they're far apart, then I think the federal minister can and the federal government can recall Parliament and go into Parliament and say, hey, look, we gave them every chance. The national economy is struggling. We can't take it anymore, and we're going to have to impose a settlement. We're sorry, but we think this mediator's report is a fair saw-off, and that's going to be the basis for the settlement. So again, if Ottawa doesn't tweak the offer, the, the mediator's proposal, then the federal government can say legitimately, look, you know, this this isn't us saying what the settlement should be. This is us saying the mediator got it right and that's what it's going to be. Okay. And so obviously just in time too, right? Because we're starting to hear oh. more and more stories about the impact here. Yeah. I mean, we've been hearing a lot of grumbling from the business community about what's going to happen, that it's going to start affecting jobs and employment. But we had 
a major sign yesterday that this is no longer just hypothetical. So Canfor has paused production at its pulp mill in Prince George. Uh, there's no storage space left for pulp. Uh, it's difficult to store pulp anyway, I gather. And they're just reducing production. So that's going to affect jobs there immediately. The mill is shutting down. The general expectation is that the other pulp mills in the province will be forced to do the same thing. It's easy to store lumber, much harder to store pulp. There are a few places to do it. And so production is shutting down. And before long, already, uh, hundreds of workers are going to be affected. Oh, boy. Okay, so then it's fair to say, I think, there was probably a lot of pressure coming on all sides on this thing. Yeah, I think there are, you know, and the Premier is in Winnipeg for the Premier's conference. So David Eby was asked about this again yesterday. Premiers Ford, Smith and Moe have all already called for federal intervention. Uh, Eby still siding with the union, doesn't want Ottawa to step in and impose a settlement. But he agreed that there's a lot of pressure and the economy can't take much more. And I think we're seeing that happening uh, just actually, I think, after Eby spoke yesterday, you had the news of the pulp mill in right. Prince George curtailing production. Other mills are expected to follow. Talking about Premier David Eby's media availability that he had in Winnipeg as the kind of premier's conference there was, was wrapping up. So what else did you find interesting, Vaughn? <laughs> so uh, he got a couple of questions about the Surrey police dispute. And uh, he's probably at that moment going, why did I agree to this media availability? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you leave British Columbia, you go all the way to Winnipeg, and you still can't get away from the controversy over policing in Surrey. So the premier gets asked, as says, you know, Simi, it's been heating up, although I don't know if it's ever been cool out there. But anyway, two sides are firing away at each other. He says a couple of things that are interesting. The first thing he says is he admits to fatigue. So in that, he shares, I expect, with a huge number of people in Surrey and maybe a lot of people in British Columbia, fatigue over this issue. The other thing, though, that's kind of interesting is he says uh, he signed the non-disclosure agreement. So as you know, Cindy, all the arguing back and forth on this issue is over what the positions of the two sides are. Right. But when the government sent its report out to Surrey and said, our recommendation is you stick with Surrey police and don't go back to the RCMP, that... Uh, 500-page package was subject to a non-disclosure agreement. There was huge sections of it redacted. So when Surrey sent its reply back to Victoria, they made the same condition, non-disclosure. So the Premier knows a lot more than he can tell us about what's right and what's wrong in the Surrey proposal because, because he signed non-disclosure, he can't tell us. I mean, this is it's one absurd. of the most ridiculous aspects of this is both sides, you have to say, are saying, well, trust us, we know what we're doing here. And it's clearly obvious they don't know what they're doing here. So the premier anyway said, he gets asked the obvious question, which is when? Oh, he said, as soon as possible. Like the phrase as soon as possible does not suggest itself and this a political no. battle has been going on for more than four years and where the public is being deliberately kept in dark by both sides because they will not disclose what's in their respective positions.
which is absolutely ridiculous. So there's no, there's actually no end to that one. I also wanted to ask, what does he have to say though about the Minister of Children and Family Development, Mitzi Dean? Because, you know, rightfully so, she's come under a lot of fire here for the handling of that ministry. Uh, And and a lot of people wonder how she's still in the job. Yeah. And, you know, when that story first broke, which is what, a couple of weeks ago now, there were immediate calls from Indigenous leaders in the province for Dean's resignation. And initially, oh, the government said, no, no, no. You know, everybody asks for resignations. No, no, this one isn't going away. It's serious. It's deep. I was struck by an interview with Grand Chief Stuart Phillip, where he talked about it. And he said, look, Indigenous leaders got together, and this was a unanimous call of the three major Indigenous groups in the province. And he said, this wasn't an idle sort of thing. We discussed this for a while and decided that given the seriousness of this case, the horror of this case, and the admitted failings of the Ministry of Children and Family Development, the minister ought to resign as a gesture of resignation of how serious this case is. Like, this isn't one of those cases where you go, oh, well, pick yourself up and dust yourself off and carry on. Those calls aren't going away. And E.B. was asked about it yesterday, and again, he has confidence in Mitzi Dean, and the ministry is dealing with it, and we're back to business as usual. I just think on this one, Dean and the government have both missed that this is one of the worst cases in the entire history of that ministry. The negligence here is appalling. It doesn't it isn't good enough what the minister told Global in the latest interview, which is, yeah, the people that are responsible are no longer employed by the ministry, but she's not saying how many people that is, and she's not saying whether they were fired or whether they got severance or whether their firings are being grieved. So we know next to nothing about how the ministry has dealt with this. Yeah, I followed along with the global story as well. I know she, we've asked for her a bunch of times, and again, yesterday and today, and still nothing available, but... It's not great answers in the interview no. that she did do with Global. Uh, in fact, I was struck at one point where she said, you know, this is, out, of course, under, we're, we're outraged by this. Um, a horrific tragedy like this will not happen again. Well, what does that mean? Because it actually does happen time and time again, and we don't know what they're doing to make sure it doesn't happen again. Very good point, Simi. I, I mean, I guess grudgingly you'd have to say, that her latest interview with Global is better than the first interview she did where there were 17 questions, seven questions, and she gave exactly the same boilerplate answer to all seven. So she's at least developed some talking points. But look, you know, as I said, I think this is a case where the seriousness of the case and the, the... the guilty pleas were last year. So this thing has been going on yeah. uh, for some time. And the minister says, oh, there were things in the statement in court by the prosecutor. So when the sentencing happened, the prosecutor read out a statement in court because they're guilty pleas. The prosecutor reads out a statement in court of the agreed upon evidence in the case. And the minister says, yeah, we learned some stuff from that statement. Like at that point, her ministry had had months of warning that this was coming because the guilty pleas were last year. So I don't think her initial response or the ministry's initial response to the guilty pleas are adequate. And 
Her response to the calls for her resignation are inadequate. And what she's telling us now, oh, well, those people responsible are no longer employed by the ministry. What people? How many? What did they do? What did they they do wrong? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really seriously, you know, wait for the evidence, wait for the details. The family in this case, the community in this case, which must be traumatized beyond anything most of us can imagine, have been waiting for months for an adequate response to this, and they're still not getting it. They are not. All right. Thank you for that, Vaughn. Bye-bye, Simi.